regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you're with us on the program today. We're going to be talking with uh, Holly Sullivan of the Connecticut Citizens Defense League here in just a, a minute or two. Actually, probably just about a minute or so about... Uh, the surprising good news in Connecticut last week. You know, uh, Governor Ned Lamont had called for all kinds of new restrictions on gun owners in his State of the State speech earlier this year. He actually said that you can't be tough on crime if you're soft on guns. Yeah, including, I guess, those legally owned guns and those Connecticuters. Connecticuters? Connecticutans? Connecticians? I don't know, Connecticut residents who would like to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. But a funny thing happened to uh, Governor Ned Lamont's gun control proposals in committee. The vast majority of them were stripped out of a public safety bill. Yeah, in Connecticut. And again, here to talk about how that came to pass, Holly Sullivan with the Connecticut Citizens Defense League. Take a look and a listen. Holly, thanks so much for coming to the show today. It is so good talking with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And listen, I, I know that this is not a done deal yet, so I don't want to, you know, count our chickens before they're hatched. But congratulations on really what was a, a, a big accomplishment, and that is getting a lot of these gun control measures stripped out of Governor Lamont's public safety bill. I mean, this was something that I said in, the, in your introduction uh, in Lamont's State of the State address. He talked about you can't be tough on crime if you're soft on guns, and yet it looks like the vast majority of what he was calling for in terms of, you know, new legislation aimed at legal gun owners has been taken out of this bill. So I guess the first question is, how on earth did this come to pass? How did this happen? So I, I think there's a lot of different things happening here. Um, one, it's an election year. So I think um, I think that this was something that was really going to rally up the other side. Um, but at the end of the day, CCDL, this organization, the Connecticut Citizens Defense League, um, really rallied their people. And we have not seen a showing like this since the bill that came forth after Sandy Hook. Um, so we had almost 2,000 testimonies in opposition to um, the governor's bill, which was Senate Bill 16. Um, hundreds of folks from our side signed up to speak. Um, it went until, I think, two or three in the morning. Morning. Um, we haven't had that energy in a very long time. And a lot of people that have never testified before showed up and um, and it was a very different demographic than I think that they were uh, that they were expecting to see. And there's a lot of stuff that was in that bill that was really bad for some of the folks in our urban communities. Um, and I think it's, it, it's hard for them to ignore it when so many people came out and said, no more. We're not doing this. You talk about the, the 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 changing demographics and maybe the, the new faces uh, who were there testifying. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, like who was showing up this year that weren't showing up to testify in years past? Yeah. So I, I think this is a this is not just a trend here in Connecticut, although it is very 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 strong in Connecticut, but we know for a fact, women and minorities are the fastest growing group of, of gun owners um, as far as new permit holders. And that is absolutely happening here in Connecticut. Um, so we had 40,000 new permit holders in Connecticut last year. Um, many of them are good folks who live in areas where they say, I don't feel safe. Um, and crime in Connecticut is out of control. Um, so a lot of folks from our urban communities signed up for testimony and talked about the problems that they've had. Now, 
in this bill, they were literally trying to make public transportation of all sorts a gun-free zone. What does that do to our communities? Are good people that just, you know, they might take the bus, they might take a ferry, we're close to Long Island, all of those things. Um, how, how can you honestly say to people that live in other communities that they don't have the right to carry to and from work of all places, which is they could be coming home late, um, all of these different things. So I think there were a lot of things happening here that affected different people um, that they spoke up and said, this is not good for our communities. And it's hard for the other side to ignore them. So I, I saw one of the uh, the, the quotes after uh, a lot of this language was stripped out of, uh, of the Senate bill. I think it was Connecticut against gun violence. Uh, one of the big gun control groups their uh, their head had said, well, you know, he, he was disappointed, but he said, well, you know, but the priority, maybe the priority this year is to get some of these, you know, community violence intervention programs in place. I'm curious behind the scenes, how hard were the gun control activists lobbying to keep these proposals in the bill? Uh, and is this a bit of sour grapes rationalization on the part of these activists now that this language has been taken out? Yeah, I, you know, it's hard to speak for them, and we certainly don't know what goes on behind closed doors. One thing that's different between some of the other side and us is um, they pay professional lobbyists, right, and they do their thing. CCDL is as grassroots as it comes. We we are literally just people on the ground. We're not registered agents for lobbying. We don't do that. Um, there is a lot of big money behind what goes on on the other side, especially in states like New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, uh, California. So I it's hard to say what dialogues might have happened in the halls of heart or over the phone. But um, as far as the energy behind their people, they did not bring it. Um, without a doubt, uh, when we look at the testimony for Senate Bill 16, 99% of all the testimony that was submitted was against the bill. 99%. They barely showed up. So I think there's a couple of things happening. One, it's hard to ignore that the legislation doesn't work, right? So uh, to go all the way back to Sandy Hook, they passed a bill called uh, SB 1160. And SB 1160 was the bill that was going to ensure this never happens again. It was a three-part bill. There was gun control, there was school safety plans, and there was funding for mental health. The state of Connecticut has only done one of the three. You can guess which one it is, right? So the bill that was going to ensure that we never had another Sandy Hook incident has not taken seriously two-thirds of that bill. No funding for mental health, and schools, some schools in Connecticut are still not in compliance with their school safety plans. It's hard to ignore that. So when we get up there and we're talking about all you're doing is passing more gun control and our state is getting less safe, it's hard to ignore that. But the reality is we have unprecedented number of new permit holders in the state of Connecticut. They're energized. They care about it. They're showing up and they're speaking their minds. And for that, we should all be grateful because um, if it can happen here in a state like Connecticut, if we can hold back something like this, it can be done anywhere. And it's time to start moving the goalposts the other way. Absolutely. And, and I mean, again, it sounds like this is a direct result of the grassroots activism on the part of gun owners. If you think, do you think this would have happened, let's say, had it been 50 50 uh, in terms of testimony, uh, you know, supporting or opposing this bill? Or if, let's say, instead of, you know, 2000 people, uh, you know, uh, submitting comments, let's say it was 200 uh, gun owners submitting comments. Do you think that, that we still would have had this outcome? I'm not sure we would have. I think it really is a result of people showing up. And here in Connecticut, it really was an organized effort that we haven't seen before. Not just, you know, CCDL really took the reins and drove this home, 
but it was going to our gun stores, talking to our gun stores about, hey, let every customer know this is coming. Let every customer know that they need to testify. They did it. Um, they worked together. They got their customers motivated. We did it through social media. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it comes down to the power of the gun owner and thank goodness that they were willing to do the work. And I think that that is what really made the difference. It is the number of voices. This is an election year. They care about whether or not they are coming back in November. Um, and it's important that that we say, look, we're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We are pro 2A and we stick to that message. And whatever side of the aisle you are on, this is a priority for people in our state because people want to feel safe at home. Are there um, are there other bills that are still out there that you're worried about this year? Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and to go back to what you said when we started, Senate Bill 16 is not a home run because what could always happen is if once it gets to a floor vote, could they call for an amendment? Absolutely. They can call for an amendment. But Senate Bill 16 is out of Judiciary Committee, which means that what it is today is what it should look like when it gets called for a floor vote. But then, of course, they can always make amendments to it. Um, there are a couple others. Um, we did have a public health hearing uh, last Monday. Um, there were two big bills. One was uh, declaring gun violence a public health crisis in the state of Connecticut. And we all know what they can do now when something's determined to be a public health crisis. Um, they have a lot of leeway. The other thing that um, that did come out of the public health committee is um, a gun violence advisory council that would have 21 members that would talk about what do we do with this. And um, we have absolutely no objection to community intervention. I think it is, it is good for all gun owners that crime is reduced one way or another, right? When, when crime is high, legislation's through the roof, and we know it doesn't work. But if we can reduce violence, then that's a good thing, but don't put it on the backs of gun owners. Don't make us pay for it. Don't charge our ammunition for it. It is not because of us. It is not the people that are getting fingerprinted and background checked that are committing these crimes. So I think we can all agree that there's nothing wrong with community intervention so long as the driver is not gun control. Um, and I, I think we're all okay with that. So um, one thing that I would like to see is that law-abiding gun owners have a seat at that table, that there is a representation of gun owners on that advisory council. So that's something that we do need to, to work on and um, make sure that we're heard there. So that's important. Um, there Today is the last day of Judiciary Committee, um, so they're probably in hearing right now. Um, there is a one-gun-a-month bill that we're still waiting to see where that's going to go. So, um, so it was a big year. It was a huge year for gun control in the state of Connecticut. It is very close to be being done. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but man, does it look different than it did a month ago. And again, I mean, that's because gun owners are getting involved. They're speaking up, they're speaking out, they're defending the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, if folks want more information about the Connecticut Citizens Defense League, the website is ccdl.us, correct? Yep. Yep. Yes, it is. And anybody can join. You don't have to be a member, a resident of the state of Connecticut. Membership, uh, the base level membership is free. So please join us, get our emails and um, stay in stay on top of what's happening in Connecticut because it's what's spreading everywhere else. Absolutely. And Holly, thank you for everything you do, not only there in Connecticut, but around the country uh, with your 2A activism. You you really are making a difference uh, and it matters. So I don't know how often you hear it, but thank you for everything you do. Thank you. You too, Kim. Thank you. I appreciate uh, Holly joining us on the program. And again, I mean, I, listen, maybe this is uh, something that uh, anti-gun activists in other states, like, I don't know, California, might want to take a look at rather than simply slapping another gun control law on the books that doesn't make a damn bit of difference in terms of public safety. 
I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, take a different approach. It can be done even in anti-gun states. At least I, I hope it can. Again, this uh, bill has not yet made it to Governor Lamont's desk, so it is possible that they could add back in all of these gun control proposals uh, going forward. We'll definitely keep an eye on this legislation and let you know any uh, changes that might develop. Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report will start there with a story out of Chicago, CWB Chicago, uh, reporting a man on bail for attempted murder as well as a uh, gun possession case now facing new charges after shots fired at his home and uh, police forced to respond. Mm-hmm. So this gentleman, uh, Christopher Solis Govia, First came to the attention of CWB Chicago last summer after prosecutors said he escaped from electronic electronic monitoring and shot a man in the face while he was awaiting trial for a felony gun case. A judge rather ordered him held without bail after that shooting took place. But then four months later, another judge said, listen, uh, no, it's attempted murder. Pretty serious crime. Uh, but if you pay a bond deposit of $5,000, you can go home on electronic monitoring. And that's what he did. He paid the money. He went home. Uh, but he was back in felony bond court this past weekend because police allegedly found a gun, cocaine, and ammunition in his home after responding to a shots fired call. And a judge once again ordered him held without bail. Yeah, once again. Maybe for a few more months, right? According to uh, CBB Chicago, Evergreen Park officers uh, surrounded his home on Friday for receiving calls of gunfire. Police detained him after giving him verbal commands to exit the house, then went inside to make sure that everyone was okay. Uh, during the premise check, cops saw uh, two, quote, AK-style rifles in the home. They secured a search warrant to investigate further. Uh, when they did, they learned that the rifles were, in essence, airsoft guns. They're basically BB guns. But they did find a handgun, you know, that shoots actual ammunition as well as some ammunition, and about a half ounce of cocaine. So prosecutors have now charged the uh, man with Class X manufactured delivery of cocaine, as well as possession of ammunition. Uh, police say the investigation into the handgun the police found is still ongoing. Uh, his defense attorney, by the way, says that uh, other than the outstanding charges he's facing, uh, he has no criminal background, lives with his father and his family in the residence, uh, Judge Susanna Ortiz said bail on the new allegations at $50,000 with electronic monitoring required. If he pose a 10% deposit bond, <clears throat> yeah, that'd be another $5,000 and he could get back out. But the judge also ordered him held without bail on the attempted murder and the gun charges at least until today when another judge is supposed to uh, look through this case. What does it take to actually hold somebody behind bars as a danger to the community while they're awaiting trial? Chicago, uh, apparently it takes a hell of a lot because repeatedly racking up more violent offenses isn't enough in the Windy City. All right, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story from Minnesota, where a father says he was forced to shoot and kill an intruder who had attacked his daughter. Um, according to uh, officials in St. Paul, the uh, man and woman had, quote, some kind of relationship it sounds like that relationship had ended. It was uh, April the 1st. Officers were called by a 56-year-old resident who told them a man who had a relationship with his daughter had kicked in their front door, had threatened her. Uh, when police arrived, they found the man who was in his 30s, shot multiple times inside the home. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Officials uh, confirmed that the father shot and killed the man after he reportedly threatened his daughter. The dad was brought in for questioning, was released, no arrest made. 
Uh, an investigation into the incident is still ongoing, but based on all of the evidence right now, this would look like a clear-cut case of self-defense. Once you break into somebody's home, kick in the front door, you threaten the person inside, you're not there to deliver Girl Scout cookies, right? The in- the, 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 the intent that uh, the individuals inside that home are supposed to uh, uh, determine from your actions is that you mean them harm. And so this uh, man acting in defense of his daughter, perhaps himself as well, I don't think we'll be facing any charges, but we'll keep our eyes open for uh, any new developments as they emerge. Finally today, our good deed of the day from Nevada, where uh, two police officers in Reno helped a 75-year-old woman who was on the streets, not only uh, finding her a place to stay, but actually reuniting her with her family. Rose Brazdevic uh, is her name. Sterling Canland's one of the police officers in, I said this was Reno, I'm sorry, this was Henderson, Nevada. Uh, Sterling Canland is a police officer there in, in uh, Henderson. He says when she came out of this uh, open lot, she had a makeshift sling on her arm. and She just looked very run down. He said, we just looked at, her, at each other. We can't walk away from this one with a good conscience. So Canlon and his uh, partner, uh, Carlos Chorens, decided that they would intervene. And this wasn't a quick fix. I mean, for months, they worked behind the scenes to make sure that she was okay, trying to get her uh, place off of the streets, as well as to help reunite her with her son and the family members, some of which she didn't even know that she uh, had. Um, ultimately, Canlon uh, and Chorens were successful in doing so. Uh, March of 2021, they found a place to shelter uh, Brazdevic and her companion. Uh, and uh, since then, they have continued to work uh, for her and with her. Uh, it's really, truly an amazing story. And uh, again, if it were not for these officers, Brazdevic may not have been able to reunite her with the son that she hadn't seen in 30 years, uh, Michael Mishrina, who is Brazovic's son, uh, was able to reunite and show, you know, again, get uh, reacquainted with his mom. His mom was able to get uh, reacquainted uh, with uh, her son. Uh, it is it's amazing. Uh, and uh, she was ultimately able to uh, to travel to Louisiana where her son lives uh, and uh, again, start to put her life back together. So officers Canlin and Chorens. There in Henderson, Nevada, in the right place at the right time, not willing to give up. Thank you for your very good deed. And uh, not that you need to hear it from me. I'm sure you got that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I thank you for being a part of the program today. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest segment of news and information. But until then, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com, the website where we can uh, update you on the latest segment of news and information throughout the day. Uh, I will say my contributions today a little bit more paltry than they normally are. We're, uh, <sighs> we're having to say goodbye to our best boy bullet today and that is a a tough moment for our family so we're going to get through it but i'm going to have to take a a few hours off to uh to say goodbye and to help uh mourn with my family but we'll be back tomorrow until then be well be safe and be free